Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Anna, it's so nice to virtually meet you. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Thanks for having me. I have to say, I yeah. like when you posted that picture of who was going to be on. Yeah, I was so starstruck to be on with the biscuit ballerina. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, she's coming on. What? <laughs> yes, yes. And I am sure I mean, I'm starstruck all the time with like everyone that I have on here, um, including you. So really, thank, thank you. you so much for chatting with us. And you're the official first guest I have for this season of this little series that just to give you a little bit of background, I started it literally a year ago, like right at the start of quarantine. I was like, what can like everyone use right now? And I figured, you know, what, let me just like start chatting with dancers and, you know, people in the industry just to see how everyone's kind of managing this time. And with this second season, I thought to myself, you know, so much has happened in the past year, especially with just the, um, a lot of just the dance world in general and, and the industry in general, so much so much is changing and so much is erupting that I, I really just want to bring these conversations um, to, to my account and to all the dancers who follow me. And I think Tiny Pretty Things came at such a perfect time. And I'm sure you can agree with just, again, the eruption of all of the stigmas around dance. And that's, you know, really what I want to dive into. But enough of with me talking, why don't you just introduce yourself to everybody who's following because you're the expert of you. So instead of me introducing you, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> well, I think it's super cool what you're doing. And I've watched some of the interviews. and I think they're amazing. I wish that I had that when I was dancing. Uh, but I'm Anna Mesh. And I play Cassie on the Netflix series Tiny Pretty Things. And I, I guess I was a ballerina for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And now I'm an actress. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So uh, Anna, why don't you talk to us a little bit of, about your experience actually on set in regards to how much dancing you did. And I know your part was maybe a part that didn't have as much dancing as some of the other parts, but talk to us a little bit about that balance between uh, the dancing on the show and the filming, the actual filming schedule. Uh, well, yeah, I definitely had it easy that <laughs> season. Um, I felt really lucky because I got a nice <laughs> soft intro into sure. it all, you know, and I also hadn't danced in five years. And so um, I was really intimidated. Mm -hmm. And but the rest of the cast, if they weren't filming, they were dancing. And if they weren't dancing, they were filming because yeah. they had to stay in shape with class. And then they had to learn a bunch of choreo. And a mm -hmm. lot of that you don't even see on the show. Mm -hmm. It's just stuff that they had to learn. Um, and then I got a call 
I don't know, I guess it was like a third of the way through filming. And uh, Michael McLennan, our showrunner, was like, mm-hmm. actually, we are going to have you dance on the show. So mm-hmm. you have to take class every morning, get back in shape, blah, blah, blah. And so I did that. And that was kind of really the only the only dancing I did. I did classes in the morning and then shooting in the afternoon or late morning. Mm-hmm. And then a couple rehearsals of, of me and uh, Michael, who plays Nabil, mm-hmm. our dream scene. And, and that was it. I felt really lucky because it was not so hard. <laughs> yeah, right. This like soft intro into getting into more intense dancing, especially after taking about five years off. I mean, that must have been. So what was it, um, it, you know, what drew you to the show in general? Was it because you did have, I want to hear more, I guess, about your dance background and what role that played in what you brought to Cassie uh, and to the show? Well, Cassie originally didn't have to, a dancer didn't have to play her okay so uh, in all the other roles they had to submit a self tape which is what mm-hmm. actors do when they put themselves on tape auditioning mm-hmm. and then send it in and everyone else had to send in a dance tape mm-hmm. and I didn't have to do that because Cassie wasn't supposed to dance sure um but then when Michael McLennan found out that I was a dancer that's when he he wrote in Nabil's dream um but I started dancing at four in Cuba Mm-hmm. Uh, where I was living at the time, and I joined the um, school for the National Ballet of Cuba. Sure. And then after that, I went to North Carolina School of the Arts for a couple of years, and then I went to Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet for mm-hmm. a couple of years, and then uh, and then I fell and I had to have surgery, and that was that was the end. Sure. <laughs> the yeah. like super common story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. Listen, I mean, I think that's awesome, especially because in so many dance shows, I know myself and all the dancers that I know are very appreciative when we see dancers portrayed, real dancers portrayed, whether Mm -hmm. it's in a modeling opportunity or especially in a, you know, big series like Tiny Pretty Things. So to see real dancers portrayed in the show was extremely appreciative. Um, Now, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the show's portrayal of different social stigmas that I often talk talk about on this account. So the first one just being eating disorders. Um, We saw on the show that what I loved about it was that we took this very stereotypical idea of what a dancer deals with, but we switched it around. I shouldn't say we, it's not like I did this, but like the show (laughs) uh, switched (laughs) things around a little bit and gave the eating disorder to the lead male, Warren, which... I think is amazing because not only are eating disorders, I mean, it it is a common stereotype for dancers, but male eating disorders are so underrepresented. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on how the show really portrayed this. I mean, I thought that they did an amazing job. I, Mm -hmm. I know that it's such a stereotype to have a dancer with an eating disorder, but it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just reality of the ballet mm-hmm. world, you know, mm-hmm. majority of people go through that at some point in their career. Sure. So I think that our showrunner, you know, wanted to, but also in a sense had to for the ballet world touch on that, but he didn't want to do it in kind of just the, the common ways. Yeah. And that's why he gave it to Oren, which was also extremely helpful because you know, men have it too. A lot of men that I knew had eating disorders. Sure. So I, I thought it was really well done. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, just like I said earlier, male eating disorders, male negative body image are so underrepresented and uh, represented in the dance world. And um, it kind of leads into my next question about body ideals and body aesthetics in the dance world being so stringent and so um, like rooted in old school thoughts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing major shifts in the dance world, especially this year, you know, with dancers coming out, the New York Times article that just came out about a week and a half ago, lots of changes are happening. And then I think that the the show Tiny Pretty Things is really taking such a great role in that conversation. And I'll be honest, you know, when I first started watching, I was a little bit nervous because I thought like, okay, we're going to have another dance show, like another Mm -hmm. dance show that's going to like show the (laughs) the stereotypes and the eating disorders. But then like it, things took major turns and I absolutely love the show. And I've even written a whole review about it. Everyone can go check that out on dancenutrition.com. But I really came to absolutely love the show because in my opinion, and you can tell me if you agree with this, sometimes we need these dramatized um, ideas in order to start a conversation. And I think that's what the dance world actually needed. You know, we needed these, uh, for example, the competition, the, the show's portrayal of dancer competition. It was it, it, in my opinion, very extreme, but in a way, I thought that was actually very good because it's again starting the conversation. And if we take these huge stigmas like disordered eating, eating disorders, body ideals, cutthroat competition, um, sexist, sexism, and uh, all of these like major umbrella issues that we don't really just have in the dance industry. I mean, we have it in so many industries, mm-hmm. you know, at first, again, like I said, I was really hesitant about if whether or not I was going to enjoy the show, because I was worried that it was just going to be another portrayal of these stereotypes. But then as I continued to watch, I actually felt that it would be my own ignorance to not have more of an acceptance into what I was watching because um, this is what we need to see. Like, like if this is what's, if this is what we need to bring these conversations to the normal world, to the, to the mm-hmm. regular, like who's watching Netflix world, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Not just the dance world. Then that's really important again, to just spark and ignite these conversations that need to be heard. So I really totally. think that this show did such a fabulous job with that. Well, thanks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that like, even when it comes down to like Monique and Caleb's relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, you could so easily, and you, and you watch that on other television shows, you're just like, why is this happening? This is so pointless. Mm -hmm. But I, I was happy that it was in our show because it happens constantly, you know, teachers with students in the ballet world all the time where I went to school, it happened all the time. So, and it wasn't glorified in my opinion, you know, which is Mm -hmm. kind of where the issue would come from. But Mm -hmm. uh, I I really liked it. There were all these conversation starters in the show. And I hope that eventually, you know, people who, who criticize having those, that subject material in the show will be able to see, oh, that's actually the reality of the ballet world. They're putting it in because Michael, McLennan really did his research, you know, he absolutely interviewed countless dancers and really got to understand the ballet world. And he would ask us questions and ask us about our experiences. So he's writing from a place of truth. Absolutely. And, you know, again, there is a certain level of drama. I don't know how to say this word, drama 
dramatization is that yeah. Right? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um there's a there's a certain level of dramatization in the show but in my opinion it had to have that it had yeah. to have that in order to make the messages known and I think serious enough and like I said it it couldn't have happened at a more perfect time because we are and I think this show is playing a role in that seeing dancers come out now and like mm -hmm. talk about their you know like that this is happening because I'll be honest I when I look back at my own dance career I feel that I got lucky because I never experienced such stringent cutthroat mm -hmm. competition that was portrayed in the show but like mm -hmm. you said I mean are people pushing people off our dancers pushing dancers off roofs no but again in order to get a message across I think that the show needed to do that and in my opinion Orient's eating disorder is just the perfect example one of one of the great examples of this show sparking new conversations that need to be heard about so many stigmas in the dance world I agree I agree yeah, yeah. so Many dance students face a ton of challenges throughout their pre-professional years, which you can, you know, think back and relate to as a young dancer. Uh, were there ever specific challenges that you felt you faced? Yeah, I mean, I, I started kind of in a world... I mean, maybe it just wasn't my nature and so I didn't notice it. But when I started in Cuba, there really wasn't, uh, it, it just didn't feel very competitive. The sure. dancers were incredible, but we kind of all had each other's backs. And sure. we all went through, I mean, the training there is like insane. I remember being like nine years old and doing an entire bar with a girl on my shoulders. Like oh, it's my crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. And so you're all just like kind of feeling overwhelmed together and right. it really builds a sense of community. Sure. Um, and so when I moved to the States, that was kind of a new thing for me, you know, dancers mm -hmm. like having to be in the front and things like that. So right. I think that that was a, a big issue of mine was feeling sure. like I, I, I wasn't really competitive enough. Yeah. Um, and then I guess when I was about uh, maybe 18, I started developing some pretty unhealthy eating habits. I think I was probably, I close. was super weak, <laughs> like definitely dancing at my worst. Um, and I was dancing probably like 35 to 40 hours a week. It was just insane. Right. Um, but I have celiac and I hadn't been diagnosed until I was 16. Wow. And so I never had weight problems. I was always very, I mean, I was too thin. Teachers mm -hmm. would always tell my mom to like feed me cookies before bed to, mm -hmm. you know, put something on me. Uh, but I just, I was always sick. I couldn't do sure. anything about it. And then when I got diagnosed at 16, I, you know, I started being able to absorb the nutrients Absolutely. I was eating right. and right. put on some good, healthy weight and actually hit puberty and all the good, healthy things that should happen. Uh, and after a year of feeling super great and not being on the verge of like vomiting every day and being mm -hmm. sick our um our director came up to me and was like her her way of saying that you looked chubby 
uh, was, are you eating your vegetables? And she came up and asked (laughs) me that. And it was so humiliating. Mm -hmm. And it had happened to so many other girls. You know, you watch your classmates go through it. But for some reason, when it happens to you, you're just like, this is the worst. You know, Mm -hmm. no one knows how I feel. This is humiliating. Um, And so I felt like, all right, you want me to lose weight? I'll lose weight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You'll Mm -hmm. see. I'll lose the weight that you want me to lose. And then when I started getting really thin, I was frustrated because I I was like, why isn't this happening? I'm eating so little, blah, 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 blah. And uh, one of my teachers called me out, Anna, I hope you're not starving yourself because you're looking awfully weak and thin. And I was so furious like mm-hmm. how could and then the the director also came up to me and was like you know you're you're looking very very thin are you doing it the healthy way mm. and I thought how dare you like how dare you ask me to lose weight and then be unhappy with how much weight I've lost sure you know ask me to yeah. lose the weight and then and then move on it just felt like such I felt so unsupported you know, sure. they were telling me lose weight, but not how. And right. then they were telling me now you've lost too much, but not how I should put it back on, you know, in a healthy way. Right. You know, and I think this whole scenario just shows us like, A, first of all, no dance teacher or director should be commenting on a dancer's body. And, you know, for the non-dancers listening out there who, who are like, well, that sounds counterintuitive because, you know, a dancer's body, that's their instrument. That's, that's their dancing. Yeah. But when it comes to weight and body shape and size comments that could be so uh, innocent can actually like to you be so detrimental and lead you to what, I mean, we can consider as being inflicting harm inflicting true harm onto yourself to eat that little a day and obviously you know not see any benefits from that because you're just not providing your body with nearly 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 enough of what it would need to not only run properly metabolically but also physically for your actual dancing so totally yeah so so it's so important for dancers to realize like if they're hearing comments from directors and teachers well they should be either uh taking it with a grain of salt and or reassessing the environment in which they're dancing in because Mm -hmm. um that can really be detrimental to a career and lead to injuries that will eventually lead to the end of a career totally totally and i think too like listening i mean I, i felt really, really lucky because at the school I had incredible friends Mm -hmm. who um, were, were very aware of, of that type of thing. They were Mm -hmm. the the kinds of girls in the school that, you know, had outside lives and had parents that weren't dancers and would tell them like, no, you're going to eat your dinner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I was lucky enough to have them tell me, you know, you're not dancing at your best at your best mm-hmm. like this isn't this isn't helping you at all it's not going to sure. help you get a job it's not going to help you get you know get more roles like it's just not going to help you mm-hmm. and 
I wish in hindsight, you know, that I had listened to them more. Mm -hmm. But looking back, I think even just having them telling me those things was was really nice. You know, knowing yeah. that if I gained the weight, I, I still had my my group of pals here that supported me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, the moral of the story here is support system um, and how to navigate triggering language, which actually brings me back to Tiny Pretty Things a little bit, because I know a lot of the criticism of the show is, you know, just about whether or not it is triggering. And there is a lot of triggering content in the show, but at the same time, I do think the way the show portrays a lot of this is in a light that that is meant to spark the conversation so that we as an industry can move forward and can make these changes so that comments like what you received when you were younger are not continuing um, right. throughout the younger generations that are coming up the ranks now. So that's, right. I think that's such a good point. Um, and just by the way, everybody listening, head over to my blog, type in the word calories and read my article about calories. It will help to answer your questions. So I just want to clear that up. Yeah. Now, question, um, in regards to just quarantine, um, how were you able to manage it? You know, obviously, now we're coming into this, like, hopefully this post COVID life, we're slowly like kind of creeping there. We're not quite there yet. But how mm -hmm. were you able to fill some of your spare time throughout this crazy year that we've been in? Well, um, I've been exercising a lot, nice. which has been super nice. I still, I still have, you know, those, those little voices in my head from the ballet years of what my body should look like or what it shouldn't mm -hmm. look like. And it's really helped me to get into a different form of exercising and build different muscles that I maybe, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe teachers kind of discouraged building mm -hmm. when I was dancing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's been really, really cool because I love looking in the mirror and being like, oh my God, I've never had this kind of muscle because everyone told sure. me that it was ugly and I actually love it. You know? Sure. You, you bring up a really good point, by the way, about just kind of like still having these voices in your head, you know, and I think it's really important. I always say this, but body acceptance and I shouldn't even say body acceptance, I should say, because do we ever really reach this, this point of body acceptance? Let's call it body neutrality. And I think it's really important for younger dancers to hear that you don't necessarily, even as you get older, just reach this point where you wake up and you're like, everything is dandy and I feel great in my body and how I look. But rather, because you still get those voices and it's a matter of learning how to quiet them down and navigate through them and realize that they are unrealistic and mm -hmm. instead, you know, choose, it's not, a, it's not a matter of, you know, not exercising at all. It's a matter of finding exercises that are maybe more joyful to you rather than being something that you feel you're exercising because you have to. Right, right, totally. And having... You know, I, I noticed when I was on set for Tiny Pretty Things, when I started taking classes again, I could see just these, these like insecurities coming back and feeling super suffocated by them. Mm -hmm. And it was because I wasn't used to being in front of a mirror all day. Sure. You know? and, and, mm -hmm. and having, having so, such little clothing on and just things that, you know, 
feel so natural in the ballet world, but when you're out of it, you're like, whoa, this is really exposing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's definitely helped to find different ways of exercising to also have non-dancer friends, you yes. know, who have um, a whole different set of, of issues <laughs> to deal with mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with their bodies. And, and also kind of surrounding myself with, with people who look completely different than me in all Mm -hmm. different ways, you know? Absolutely. So like just bringing in diversity into your life and to the things that you're doing, you know, picking up a different hobby. I encourage Mm -hmm. this for all dancers. Sometimes, you know, when we dance and maybe you feel this way with acting too, I don't really know the acting side of things. I know the dance side of things and it can be very easy to just get hyper-focused in everything we do being for the purpose of our performance. And I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So when someone tells me to do something, it's like I have to do it to the 200th degree. Um, And that's an unhealthy uh, lifestyle. It's it's an exhausting lifestyle and it's unhealthy. And having to always, you know, take two steps back in order to move forward, I think is really important. So essentially my point being is, you know, picking up other hobbies, whether it be knitting, whether it be hanging out with friends that aren't dancers, uh, Mm -hmm. something that's not in the dance world, just to give you more diversity in your life, I think is very helpful for dancers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I, it does totally relate to acting. I think it's the same thing. And when you find Mm -hmm that happiness outside of your career, it's so much easier to bring it into your career. You know, the times that I'm like thriving the most are the times that I'm happy not doing what I do. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Because it's your career. And sometimes when you need sometimes when like when dance was my career, it wasn't my exit. It it wasn't until I, I started nutrition where like I could get back into dancing and have it be like my calm exit from the world, mm, if yeah, that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Anna, my last question for you, because I'd love to ask this to everybody, is what would you define, I know it's a very general question, but how would you define a healthy dancer? Um, I guess like in one word, I would define a healthy dancer as strong. Mm-hmm. You know, strong mentally, strong physically, strong morally. Mm-hmm. And I probably lean towards that because I think I lacked a lot of that strength. I think, mm-hmm. the, I think I was pretty good with the moral strength, but everything else I was pretty bad with. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that with that, I mean, then you're, you're making sure that you're happy. You're making sure that you're eating right. You're protecting your joints and, you know, your precious body that is your instrument from injury and, I think that that's, you know, if, if everyone in the world could be strong mentally, physically, and I forgot what the last, emotionally, yeah. <laughs> it, the world would be a better place. <laughs> I agree. I talk about this a lot, just like the three realms of health. Because again, as a dancer, we get very focused on physical health, what we look like, how we're fueling our body, how what, you know, what the foods we put in are the foods that's going to help us come out and what's going to help us dance on stage. But mm-hmm. it could not be it wasn't until I personally realized like even the foods I eat impact my emotional and my mental health. And if I'm not taking that into account, then I'm not going to be the best dancer. So really, you know, being strong mentally, emotionally, and physically is something that's so important. I actually have one more really random question for you. Yeah. (laughs) 
Because after following you, I realized you're very into sustainable fashion. Yes. <laughs> so this is this fascinates me because I've actually always had this major interest in sustainable fashion. So can you just like quickly tell us about this part of your life? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I'm so happy you asked me about this. Thank you. Um, well, sustainable fashion, I mean, essentially you want to think about the beginning of your clothing's life mm -hmm. until the end of its life. Mm -hmm. So how it's being made, uh, who's making it, how they're mm -hmm. being treated mm -hmm. and what is used to make it. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously organic material, or is it animal material? Is it being made in a factory that, you know, yeah. is polluting our planet? Mm -hmm. And then the end of life, what happens to, you know, those ratty shoes when you throw them away? Are they biodegradable? Probably not. Sure. Can they be fixed and then, you know, sold to somebody else or whatever? Um, and so what I've done, which I mean, it's so easy. It's just this website <laughs> called... Yeah, tell us, please. I want to know It's called Good On You. Mm -hmm. And they rate like fashion lines. And sometimes they'll have, you know, like if you're looking for an H&M type store, they'll say, mm -hmm. here are five stores that are similar to H&M, but are sustainable. That is and cool. I think they have um, their rating system is like not good or bad, not good enough. It's a start, good and excellent or something like that. Sure. And I've found all of my clothes through their website. That it's, is so cool. It's amazing. It's really, really amazing. And it's really changed the way I look at fashion because now, you know, I mean, you don't have to be perfect with it, of course. It's really right. difficult to be perfect with anything. Right. But just buying consciously makes a difference. I don't, Absolutely. If, if I need a white shirt, I'm not going to go to Forever 21 and get a white shirt. It's also going to you know, tear in like two weeks. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to invest in a good white shirt that was made sustainably and by someone who's making a living wage and, yeah. you know, all of that good stuff. It's really, I think that fashion, I don't even want to say how much percentage it like puts into our carbon footprint because I would probably yeah. be wrong, <laughs> but yeah. it's a lot. I mean, I have, I literally like, I am not a fashion my my life is like ballet and nutrition. So, but when, but I really sparked an interest five, maybe like already seven years ago with sustainable fashion, when I got very interested in the real, real, like their, yeah. um, their whole concept of um, resale and just, you know, recycling of fashion. And I, that's made me more of a conscious shopper of not just going to, you know, your typical H and M, Forever 21 and, and just mm -hmm. getting, you know, items that are, like you said, either a huge carbon footprint or like where my head was always thinking is just, you know, being created in a very unethical and inhumane way. So I, I just, since following you, I've been noticing that and I, and I find it so fascinating and something that I want to learn more about. So I'm going to, in the comments of this live, I'm going to share that website that you're talking about because I want to check it out myself. Yes. Yes, please do. And it's also really good because that website just does like the research for you, you know, yeah, there yeah, have been so absolutely. many clothing brands that I, well, there's one in particular Everlane that I've heard is sustainable and I used mm -hmm. to shop there. And then when I went on their site, I saw that they were rated not good enough. And mm. I looked at why, and 
the thing is that they don't they don't provide any proof. They don't talk about how much their sure. workers make. They don't talk about what their factories look like. They don't talk about the sure. dyes that they use. And so that's kind of what needs to go into it. You have to be able to see with your own eyes how, you know, on their website, how they're making their clothes and their shoes and their jewelry, because it's just kind of not enough anymore. And the thing with the real real is that they've taken that to like a more you know, kind of luxurious level, yes, which is so amazing. I don't understand, mm-hmm. you know, these like really big celebrities who don't only wear sustainable brands on the red carpet when they're being Absolutely. asked Absolutely. who they're wearing. You sure. Know? sure. It just totally brands like the real, real, I think are, are amazing and they're going to change hopefully we the way we look at fashion yeah I definitely agree well thank you for that little like sidetrack thing it was it was on my yeah. mind to ask you that <laughs> thanks and for it, asking it's been such a pleasure having you on here I can't thank you enough for just joining us like in this conversation you know please be in touch anytime yeah I will thanks for having me you're welcome I'll talk to you soon <laughs>